Listener Production. Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast, the podcast that is officially back. Here we go. I've said it. It's on the record. We're back. We've recorded enough. Uh, Mike, my producer, is sitting across from me. He's oh, got. Right. You're happy. He's pretty happy. He's been trying to get it back. He's been doing a good job behind the scenes, booking me guests and keeping me doing it. And, you know, you do enough of them in a row and suddenly you realise you're back against your will. You've tricked me into it. No, I'm... You were the frog in the water. Yeah. And Didn't realise that I was being brought back. It was slowly boiling. Yeah. I, knew, I knew what you were doing. I'm fine. I'm good to be back. It's nice to be back. I'm so glad to be back doing the show. So... Uh, if you were um, uh, interested in, like, you know, the direction of where I think the show is going to go, um, I'll explain more of it as it goes over the next few weeks. But what I'm going to focus on in the short term is talking to comedians that I'm really excited about, whether they be huge comedic stars that are household names of comedy that you might know. But sometimes they're going to be people that perhaps when you click on the episode, you're not going to recognize the name. But they're people that I'm interested in. They're people that I'm passionate about, that I'm admiring whether they are in their careers or I think they will have something interesting to say on the podcast. So for a while, um, it's back and I hope that you will have some trust in me that I am going to pick some guests that even though you might not ne- recognize their names at the moment, uh, that you will um, come to recognize their names very well and become fans of them and and uh, get on board with what they are doing. I did want to just do a little intro today to acknowledge that uh, two philosophy guests of the past uh, are no longer with us. Uh, you know, that has happened in the last couple of weeks. Obviously, uh, Father Bob, uh, you know, Father Bob left us uh, a couple of weeks ago, the great Father Bob. I'm sure people are across that. Um, and then just yesterday when we were recording this, uh, the guy that if I'd never brought the podcast back would have probably been the very last episode of philosophy, Jock Azonfrillo. Um, uh, look, I'm not going to say too much about, uh, Bob or Jock at the moment because it's all a bit raw and it's all a bit close. And, uh, if you've, if, if you've listened to the Jock episode, you understand what, Jock and my relationship was, but also the relationship that I have, you know, with his wife and, and his family. And so I don't want to get too bogged down in all that. I find it hard when I, I have this conversation in today's podcast. I'm recording the intro after we've recorded the podcast. So I, look, I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but I do have a conversation with today's guest, Chris Ryan, who is a perfect example of what it is that I've just told you. I'm going to repeat myself a bit here at the top of the podcast, so I apologize for that. But Chris Ryan is somebody that I think you should know about. You may have heard the name Chris Ryan. I think she's a comedian who's definitely on the rise. She's at a really super interesting point of her life and her evolution as a person and also a comedian. Um, But we had a little chat at the end, and I'm just going to say it again here at the top, even though this is before you've heard it. This is really some Christopher Nolan shit that I'm doing here, Mike, at the moment. We're jumping all all around the timeline. But Mark Maron, uh, when one of his former guests on on his podcast, WTF, he will often record a new introduction for the episode and then he will repost the episode. I don't don't want to do that. Um, There's just something about that that doesn't feel right to me to – to, I don't know, it feels like it it's cashing in on a moment. And I don't even think Mark is doing that, by the way. Like, I think that when I listen to the ones that Mark puts back up the po- top of his podcast, I 
I'm glad that he did because maybe it was something that I would have missed. So instead, here's what I'm doing today. I'm letting you know that there are podcasts with Jock and there are podcasts um, with Father Bob that are in the Willosophy collection. So I'm not going to redo an intro and post them at the top of the feed, but if they are something that you think you would find interesting to to listen to, to reflect on. The thing that I would say and I would warn and that I talk about with Chris in this episode is that they are people that I have sat across the table and asked the question, what do you think happens when you die? And it can be a very big thing to listen to when somebody has just died. So there you go. That's my little plug. That's my little warning here at the top. Um, I do have a conversation about this very topic with Chris today in the podcast, but I think it's worth mentioning that this show was also recorded, you know, within 24 hours of that happening. So my thoughts around all of this are very raw and unformed and, and in the moment. And, you know, it becomes you know, part of the conversation that I have with Chris today. Um, Chris was an amazing guest. I highly recommend that if you are in any of the places she still has the tour, a Sydney Comedy Festival, Brisbane Comedy Festival or Perth, uh, that you go and see Chris Ryan. Um, I mentioned in, this, in the show to Chris, but I've had a whole bunch of comedians who've gone and seen uh, Chris's show this year and highly recommended it to me. And I myself am going to go and check it out this weekend at the Sydney Comedy Festival. If you want to come and see me at the Sydney Comedy Festival, you can do that. Uh, the following weekend, I am at the Enmore on Friday night. I am at uh, the Concourse in Chatswood on Saturday night. And then on uh, May the 25th, I am doing a live version of Philosophy as part of the Sydney Writers Festival with uh, Bridget Delaney. So um, if you like this podcast and you would like to see it live, Bridget Delaney at the Sydney Writers Festival, you can also come and check that out. Uh, but if you are yeah, in Perth or Brisbane or any of those places, comedy.com.au, you can uh, find out where my dates are as well. Thank you for listening to the podcast. It's back. We're going to We've already got a few really fantastic episodes, I think, up our sleeve uh, that are already recorded. So I'm pretty confident that uh, you're going to keep hearing good ones over the next uh, month or couple of months or however long uh, we're back in this particular incarnation. But I think we can safely say that I'm back. Uh, if you want to check out the other podcasts that I do, they're all at tofop.com. Tofop and Fofop are now in the same feed. So if you sign up to the Tofop feed, you can also get the Fofop episodes. Later on in the weekend, our AFL-adjacent podcast, Two Guys, One Cup, is available exclusive to the Listener app. If you download the Listener app, it's free. Um, you just have to sign up there and you can get uh, all the episodes of Two Guys, One Cup. Even if you're not a huge AFL fan, you don't really need to be. It's an, it's an AFL-adjacent podcast. You can learn on the way as we learn on the way. Uh, but thank you, Chip, for tuning in to Willosophy. Tell your friends that it's back, and I will uh, talk to you again soon. Hello and uh, welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. And yes, it's back. I'm officially on the record saying it. this show is now back. This show that I have such a weird relationship with that went away for over a year, 14 months, 15 months. And I've got to be honest with you, now that it's back, I think I can say this. Uh, I didn't think it was coming back. I think I thought it was done. Um, uh, so, you know, the, the truth of it is that it's, it's, it's been an unexpected surprise for me that it's back and part of bringing it back made me think about what is it that I love most about the show? What is it when I'm having these conversations, the ones that am, I am most interested in, 
And and the the realization that I've come to, and this is very uncomfortable for my guest who is just sitting here in the studio very politely waiting to be introduced to the show. But the reason that I'm saying this is that I think it's a way of introducing today's guest to the audience is what I love the most is I love talking to comedians. Comedians are my people. They're my tribe. You know, I can know somebody else for six months or six years and not like them or relate to them as much as I do to a comedian that I've met for six minutes. And I like talking to comedians and I like talking to comedians at all various stages of their careers, big international stars through to people maybe who are going to be in their first year of doing it because I want to hear their stories, where they are in their career at that moment, what they think of the world in that moment. And it is just a snapshot of of that moment in their careers. Anyway, that is a very long-winded way of saying, I think that's what I'm going to lean into now that the show is back. And I think today's guest is a really good example of, you know, what I want the philosophy of philosophy to be. So, all right, that was a big introduction. (laughs) Uh, So we're going to start like this, the way the podcast always starts. I ask my guests who they are. So who are you? Hi, Will. I'm Chris Ryan. <laughs> Hi, Chris Ryan. Uh, Chris Ryan, who are you? Other like, give us a little description of who Chris Ryan is. You've heard the podcast. You know what I'm looking for here. Okay. I need the little. I am Chris Ryan, and I. I am Chris Ryan, and I do comedy now. You know, this is my. I'm a 49 year old woman, uh, mother of two, and um, I've recently moved to Sydney and. Comedy has become a pretty big part of my life. Um, it's amazing, right? Like, so let's start with the comedy. I guess that's why I was doing that long-winded introduction was to set the scene about people at various stages of their comedic life. Mm. You're not new to comedy. You've been doing comedy now for how long? Twelve years or yeah. so. But it feels like we're at a a juncture in your comedic career now. Without me like wanting to put any pressure on what that is or, you know, where you think, tell me where you think you're at, like 12 years, you know, into your com- comedy career. Um, I think I'm just starting, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've been doing comedy, stand-up comedy for, yeah, since since my first set in Raw Comedy in 2012. So I've probably done the math wrong there, Will. Mm. It's probably 11 years. Um, <laughs> but I'm not here for the maths, am I? Um, I mean... <laughs> We only get Adam Spencer in for the maths, otherwise it's mostly comedians. Thanks be to God. Um, so I think that I'm I'm always learning and that's the most exciting part about this career for me is that it's continuously challenging and engaging and I think, you know, I feel like I'm learning the craft still. I, I think I'm getting a sense of what it is to write a new show every year because that is a big challenge and... I'm starting to branch out into new areas to try and use my comedy in more than just stand-up, even though that's really just because I want the stand-up to sell more tickets right. and, and get me more audience, <laughs> you know? Like, not not for the money reasons, but because I feel like I've, you know, obviously I'm not doing this because I think I'm an idiot. I, I must think I have something to say. So, you know, that's why I want them to come, not just because I need their money, but I do need their money. Mm, all of the above. <laughs> I think is important. Let's not take the money out of the equation. If it's going to be the way that you earn your living, then you absolutely need the money. And if you're going to lean into like stand up in particular, because the way you frame that is very similar to the way that I answer that question a lot of the time, which is, you know, that I've, I've been very lucky to do other things, you know, including this podcast, but I don't consider myself, this is an interview podcast, but I don't consider myself to be an interviewer. Um, I've worked in radio and I don't consider myself to be a radio person. Like I work in TV and I don't really consider myself to be a TV person. I consider myself to be 
a stand-up comedian who, mm. and all those other things are me just hanging out my shingle going, do you like this? Maybe you'll like this other con that I'm running on the side that is actually my main priority. You want to come and take a exactly. cheeky look at me working for an hour a day swearing about stuff? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm really into. Yeah, that, yeah. everything else is just to support that ludicrous yeah. pursuit. It yeah. is. I'll work incredibly hard to support mm. this thing that, yeah. like, probably couldn't survive yeah. on its own <laughs> without me doing that. objectively people look at, you know, mm. sensible people and just go, what is mm. that? How is that? Why, the amount of times that people have asked me, like, like people are always surprised you just don't stop doing stand-up. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I think these yeah. days it's become more established that people will keep doing it. But there was a point where you used to like, you've got your radio job, you've got your TV <laughs> job. Why are you still doing that disgusting, horrible exactly. thing? Exactly. <laughs> it doesn't even make you much money. Well, yeah. like, I don't know about you, Will, but certainly not for me. But yeah, I mean, people, yeah, people maybe do have a bit more of an understanding that stand-up comedy is a job because, you know, places like Netflix show specials mainly from the US and they still say to you, um, you know, oh, I love that latest thing on Netflix. I'm like, don't talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so tell me where you are in like you you, you ten or ten, eleven, twelve years. Let's just cover off a zone. Neither of us need to do the maths, but like it's yeah. over a decade since you first started. <clears throat> Maybe let's go back there and 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 we can that this will give the audience an introduction into who you are as well. So. You, you mentioned raw comedy. Was raw mm. comedy the first thing that you ever did in the comedy world? Completely. I didn't even know open mic was a thing. Mm. I didn't know how to write comedy. I didn't know anything. I just had a friend go, you know what? You should probably go in this raw comedy competition. I went, really? Okay. So I signed up. <laughs> <laughs> great, great story. <laughs> Compelling anecdote. Uh, <laughs> Mate, if you're looking for a tap dance, you got the wrong person. Um, I so I went in it right. Yeah. I'd, I'd set put this set together that was really just my best of, you know, from mm. from existence. You know, best of from dinner parties and <laughs> general water cooler conversation. Exactly. This is my yeah. What has got a reaction? Yeah. I don't know. I'll give give this a go. Right, but that out. was what it was, was it? It oh, was the, totally. the sort of stuff you'd roll out in meetings and social totally. occasions. Here's of my course. best stories. I didn't know yeah. about setups and punchlines and mm. callbacks and act outs and stuff. So I just um, told this story about when I did flash dance for my year six teacher. And that seemed to appeal to people, you know, and um, and I just... Uh, Did you feel like you already had... So one of my crank comedy theories, mm, I just love having theories. I don't, I don't care if they're right or wrong, but it's nice to have a couple of theories, mm. you know. And one of mine is that often at your first gig, there is... The reason a lot of people's first gigs work, and I don't, haven't asked yet whether yours was <laughs> yeah, great or not, but I think that a lot of people's first gigs work. And part of the reason is you don't... You don't know anything at that point. Whereas after a while, you start to think you know stuff. And believe me, you do not. <laughs> like you know you, even less somehow yeah. the more you try and learn. You do. Like yeah, in the first few so years, weird. you absolutely. And the great thing is you have that absolute certainty that you know stuff. <laughs> and what you're actually doing is the complete and utter opposite. I'm it's, embarrassed in my own skin right now. But no, we, that's yeah. what we all are. Firm opinions mm. and like just... And getting things wrong, but also hiding who we are. We talk on totally. We talk about the journey to our authentic voice, but what we don't talk about enough, in I don't think, is the years we spend. Oh my god, so true. Thinking we know what to do, where we end up hiding that voice and drowning out that voice. And it's actually when you get confident enough and competent enough that you can chip those things away again, you almost get back to the authenticity you have in your very first gig. Thoughts. I think this is. <laughs> I that I couldn't resonate harder with that. 
I think what you've just articulated is where I'm at, I think, getting to in comedy at this point. After 10 years, I'm finally chipping away that fraudulent exterior that makes me feel safer on stage to more closely engage with who I am as a person off stage and the people I'm speaking Mm. to in trying to reach, you know? Like, so when I started, um, I just was a fool. And yes, my first gig went well um, with that bravado you have from just the joy of being on stage, because I do like being on stage. But... Then the second and also, sucked. I mean, I'm, I'm, look, I've spent a little bit of time in the Northern Rivers of New South Wales, but this is not that. There is something about it's a transferal of energy comedy, like live performance, like you standing on stage by yourself, armed with nothing else but your ideas. Really, the audience is looking for an energy transfer from you to them and then from them back to you. That is what it's all about, so right? So true. And that energy of your first time and you doing this thing that you've never done before. Like, and it doesn't matter if it's stand-up or it's skydiving. You're doing something. You're having that experience. You're in that moment. And that feeling. It's electric, yeah. And and it can't help but infect people. It's true. Energy, yeah, that's all we're dealing in all the time. Um, And one of the key things that happened in in the years that I've been doing stand-up is Mandy Nolan, you know Mandy, Never um. heard of her. No, she's <laughs> Manny Nolan, of course, uh, the first podcast back. In fact, oh. I'm going to say possibly the reason this podcast is back oh. because I was not doing it. Quick story, quick That's side great. story. I love this. Um, so I was not doing it. Uh, I love Mandy Nolan. Yes, loved so do her I. forever. Um, and she was going to Melbourne to do her show about, uh, you know, running for yep, the, the candidate is yep. the name of the show. And she ran in the federal election. I voted for it. So it's the first guest I've had on the podcast that I've ever voted for, I think. Oh, isn't that amazing? So that was fun. But I... I, I wanted to help her get some publicity for that show. I thought it was yeah. a really interesting story. And so I brought the podcast back for oh, for one episode. that's brilliant. And then here we are. Well, isn't that so, lovely? That yeah. is a lovely little happenstance because mm. Mandy was critical to my journey to become a better, I, th- I believe, better comedian when I was in Canberra because that's where my comedy career started. Yeah. We didn't have a lot of big-name comedians hanging around. Mainly they would leave, unfortunately, mm. and go and find more gigs elsewhere. And so there was never really anyone to give you feedback. Not that that necessarily happens in bigger cities, but you can perhaps connect better. So a guy called Tim Duck, who's the general manager of the Canberra Comedy Festival, got a grant from the ACT government to basically pay for some of our sets to be filmed and sent to mentors. And oh. my mentor was Mandy. And she wrote me a two-page letter about my set and it was 10 minute set and it was the most extraordinary feedback she just said you seem very interesting but you've said nothing to let me see who you are you're doing the inane comedy of a 20 year old man and I, I know because I used to do that when I started to blend in and you need to open your door and let us in because I think you've got interesting stuff in there and it was so hard to read but I also was so grateful and it changed everything for me and I stopped trying to be a 20-year-old male to blend in and it changed everything for the better and I started to actually accelerate and get more gigs and and now um, see it as a job. I mean, that's – like, I mean, it's amazing for Mandy to be able to give that sort of direct Brilliant. advice as well. Because it takes great courage to tell people the truth sometimes, particularly if – because sometimes as someone who, you know, like you're more experienced – at the very least, and sometimes people will, you know, ask you about your thoughts around something. And, you know, you always are trapped a little in that thing of how much is encouraging, how much is discouraging, how much 
can this person hear the truth? Like, yeah. how can I frame the truth to them? Because, um, like, you know, there are some people, I mean, it is hard to read because what you want to read is they send it away to a mentor. This is what we all want. Mm. They send it away to the mentor and the mentor says, this is the greatest piece of comedy I've ever seen. I can't believe you're that you're, you're a genius. Change Don't nothing. Change, yeah, just keep <laughs> doing exactly what you're doing mm. forever. Like, of course, that's what we all want. Like, we want every review to read that it's the best show that's ever been written. We want every, you know, but the truth is that if someone can give you the right feedback, oh. Like in that right way, like perfect. that opens something up for you. The thing about people asking, for, and I'm sure you, because of your career and your, you know, your knowledge and stuff in comedy, I'm sure you get so many people asking for advice. The thing is, people don't take it. A lot of people don't take, <laughs> don't ask for advice if you're not going to take it. That's always been one of my, I guess, philosophies. Okay, is, good. Yeah, like wow. you have to, you know, don't just don't waste people's time. It's interesting to me when it comes to advice. So let's explore that a little mm. bit because I, what I, one of the things that I've realised when giving advice, because I'm happy to give advice, honestly, I'm, I just don't, just don't hold me to it because mm. I've, I've not come to you saying that I'm an expert. No, that's right? true. Like, so if you want my advice, mm. I'll happily give you my advice, but here is the proviso. Ignore it if you want. Like yeah. I'm actually fine with people ignoring my advice because it might not be for you. Maybe my advice, you'll actually say, oh, you know, you're completely wrong. Yeah, but are you- and in some way that'll unlock, you know, the part of your brain that you needed to okay. unlock as yeah. well. Like That's I don't, fair. I'll offer it, but what you do with it is That's completely fair. up to you. Like okay. I don't need to see someone like I'll go, this is what I would do to like fix your show. I've got, like, I've That's done that practical thing where I've said to someone, look, I'm not saying this is what you should do to fix your show. If this was my show, here's what I would do to do this. And then gone and watched them and gone, oh, they didn't do that. And I still think my way would have been better. But I'm interested <laughs> that they made some other choices and they engaged in, you know, making their own choice because yeah. that's an important thing as well. But advice is an interesting thing. What were you going to say? no, you know what? You've just made me think about that. Because I, I do tend to be quite black mm. and white. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's okay. You're allowed to have your own opinions about But I think I'm wrong, things. actually, because I have asked for advice and not taken it. Yeah. It's true. And I'm a hypocrite. Um, and I think it is difficult to, when you're crafting a one-hour show, uh, I think it is very difficult to take people's advice on how it should go. Because mm. really, it's your little creature in, in your head that you're building. And it's very hard to share that vision with someone, I think. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, so, okay. So you, you talked about this idea of one hour shows mm. and like doing a show every year. That was like some mm. language you used earlier. Mm. So what's that about? For people who, you know, particularly who are outside the comedy industry, like what does that even mean? The idea of like doing, you know, a new hour every year or a new show every year or like, what does it mean to you? Like, where does that come from? Mm. You know, what does it practically mean? T tell me a little bit about that. Well, I mean, as as you obviously know, because you've done a million billion shows at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Pretend you're not telling me, and oh, pretend okay. you're telling how many have other you done people. though? Uh, this year was twenty seven. Oh, oh my god, I can't even imagine. Yeah, so it was show twenty. Oh so god. show twenty seven or twenty eight, but it was year twenty seven or twenty. Uh, you know what? It's all a bit blurry at That's this stage, so many but shows. yeah, a lot. Like god. one, my new one every year, apart from the pandemic. That is extraordinary yeah. work ethic, right there, far out. 
Well, I don't know. Maybe they weren't good. Who knows? Oh, rubbish. I mean, I think that is rubbish. The last ten or so were pretty good. But oh my god. Okay. <laughs> I don't well, know I can't that, even imagine. But... <laughs> well, for, for those, for, if I'm speaking to someone who doesn't know what what, yeah. what the comedy calendar entails, <laughs> basically, if you want to get some kind of reputation nationally and tour a show that you create, you need to create a new one every year and present it at. Australia's comedy festivals and potentially overseas if you want to do that. So you start perhaps, and I don't know them all, but, you know, I've done this year, for example. Yeah, what do you do, though? This year for, was the first time I've done the most. I think I did uh, Perth Fringe, followed by Adelaide Fringe, followed by <coughs> Gold Coast Laughs, followed by Canberra Comedy Festival, Melbourne International Comedy Festival, soon Sydney, Perth, Brisbane, Newcastle. I think that's it. I've done Byron in the past. So... You take that one. I see it as um, this is your product and mm -hmm. you're selling it across Australia. And so, you know, for those that wonder, oh, are you saying the same thing over and over? Well, yeah, it's a product. Uh, this is the package. Mm -hmm. I have to deliver the package everywhere. So, yeah. And the idea of getting a very good hour together of comedy, it's so much work. I mean, some people perhaps find it easier, but I find it very difficult. Oh, no, it's incredibly difficult. I mean, like it always feels vaguely self-serving for me to say how difficult it mm. is because I've done so much of it. So you think, like, yeah. is there an element of self-mythologizing involved in the idea of how difficult it is, mm. you know? Uh, but no, it's fucking difficult. It, it is. It, it, like, it takes over my life for many months. Like, I mean, I know now how difficult it is because there was the pandemic time where it didn't happen. Yeah. And I know the difference between my life during that time versus my life totally. ordinarily. Can I ask about your process? Have you already talked about this? Well, you can ask that. Well, like, like every conversation. When do you start writing? Depends. It depends. Oh. It honestly depends. Like um, sometimes it's. It, I start when I can is the, mm. uh, the honest answer. Like, I mean, obviously I have a lot of uh, – my – year is very much confined mostly into, and particularly post-COVID and the pandemic changed everything because I used to tour a little bit in between television and other commitments. Whereas, yeah, with travel during the pandemic and not wanting to get sick during a television series and stuff. So it's really become very confined to the festival season now. So like, that's when I'm going to be mm. doing my touring. So yeah, I've got to have a show. Like ideally I'd have a show for Adelaide is normally yeah. what I would do, but if, if I'm being completely honest with you, this year I arrived in Adelaide and it certainly, it started to look like a show probably a week in, like it started, it's, you know, but there's probably, there was probably half of the show that was there the first night in Adelaide didn't exist by the end of the first week. Yeah, right. And then by the end of Adelaide, there's probably like an extra sort of 10 or 15 minutes that happened post Adelaide that ends up wow. in the show. So it evolves <laughs> a lot for me in that early like in that early, you know, 12 to 14 shows. Yeah, right. That is just like That's I hectic. am. You like, record every show? Yeah. Yeah. But I don't listen back necessarily because mm -hmm. like, I'm at the point now where I, ju I can just remember it all. Okay, wait. You don't write it down? Oh, I mean, I will sometimes. If I'm trying to fix something, I'll write it down. Mm. And I eventually like to have a like a copy of it. Yeah. But I think in the process of putting it together – Writing it down doesn't help that wow, much because okay. writing because here's here's what I know. Anyway, this is this is probably the more important part, and this is why everybody's way of doing this is really different. I have sat down and written shows in the past, like absolutely written, like word for word. They're not great right. because 
when I am in just my normal creative mode at home, I find it very hard to discern what is a good joke and a bad joke. I think they're all good jokes. <laughs> <laughs> like in 30 years of me doing this, like I've never been able to work out what are good jokes and what are bad jokes. Like I like them all. Like the reason, yeah. if you come and see me on the first night in a show I've written like that, I thought all those jokes were funny. It turns out I'm absolutely wrong. Like, and there is a writing part of my brain, a, a part that only engages in that jeopardy of being on stage in front of people that can elevate, oh, find okay. a moment in an idea or elevate an angle wow. or there's just something about yeah. that desperation of, in that moment, yeah, there's a desperation of making them laugh that when I was sitting on my couch watching Ted Lasso in the background, I like my brain wasn't in that same peril or desperation. I, I'm in the same, but I don't do that <laughs> because I'm terrified of not finding it in time for the audience, mm. you know, so... Uh, oh, mate, I don't find it in time for the audience all the time. Like, I mean, I'm surprised that people still come to my first week in Adelaide. I wouldn't if I couldn't. It's like we all know it's necessary, but we're all gritting our teeth together. Poor Adelaide. Yeah. Um, that is interesting. Now, I tend to write, you know, write it down. And, yeah, okay. And edit on paper. And so tell me your to, process then. Yeah. When are you starting? Because you're currently in the middle of a show. Let's take it from you've got a complete show at the moment. Mm. Like you said, you've already done a run and you've done Melbourne Comedy Festival, which is, you know, look, all these festivals are, are like have their own, you know, respective charms and merits. Correct. Um, and you can have particular affections for various ones. But the Melbourne Comedy Festival is among the handful of best comedy festivals in the entire world. Like Mm. this is, it's in the conversation to be, in my opinion, the best comedy festival in the world because it's the only one of that size that is specifically a comedy festival. I mean, Edinburgh is bigger, but it is a fringe festival and only part of it is a comedy festival. You've got places like Montreal or Aspen, all these showcase, you know, top end American festivals, but they're not everybody hang out your shingle and do an era comedy festivals. The Melbourne Comedy Festival, you got 600, 700 shows mm. from people who are in big theatres doing huge shows through to people who are playing to one, two, three, yep. four people a night in a yep. in a cupboard. And that's what I think makes it the greatest comedy festival in the world, in my opinion. Yeah, right. But point being, you're kind of halfway through, like, you know, the tour and you've maybe done, you know, almost the biggest one and now the rest is a little bit gravy, right? Yeah, it feels good now. Yeah, the show's in, <laughs> you're feeling good about yeah, the I'm show. Not as, yep. Like it's all kind of, you know, just enjoy it, have fun with it now. So when you're there, you've got a show, this is the best the show's going to be because you've worked it hard, mm. you've got every joke right, you're in a good mood, you're just having a good time yeah. with it, you're enjoying every show, right? Yep, yep. How soon... Do you let go of this good, fun feeling and start thinking about next year? For me, it's when I book in the Sydney Fringe Mm. in September usually. So prior to September, I need to come up with, let's say, I want to call it 20 minutes of new. I'm not saying good, just new. Yeah. That I can riff and work in in a very loose environment with a mate in a split bill, Sarah Gall, um, and we'll would do that in a few places and we'll put together, that's the beginning of my new hour, you know, Sydney Fringe. Yeah. Does it start with uh, like a, an idea or a philosophy? Is there, like, you know, for me, like most shows, very, like often there are a reaction to the previous show. Oh, yes, so true. So, you know, and that can be who knows what the reaction yeah. will be, but often it is a reaction. Um 
And often I will try to find a theme or a thought or a something, but it doesn't need to be there at the start. Often what I think the show might be at the start is not what the show ends up being at all. So, and I'm happy to let it go where it needs to go. So what about you? How, I, how do you start out? I would love to do that. I would love to, I've always, I always start out thinking, well, this year I'm going to, I'm going to do a narrative and I'm going to know what I'm going to be talking about. But then I end up just doing the same thing, which is just jokes that come to me, you know, bits that come to me that are in my life, things that happen in my life um, on no particular theme because your life is you. So I am become the, the connection. Thing. Yeah, that's yeah. it. So it's just the things that are happening to me. And then I put them together and I think, well, what am I saying? What is, is there anything here? You know? <laughs> it's quite, a, I say that all the mm-hmm. time, uh, not just about comedy shows, but um, it, and I'd look and I go, well, what am I, what am I prepared to tell people this year? Mm. Well, that is, that's a good way of framing it though. What am I prepared to tell people this year? Mm. So how do you decide that? Like, how do you decide where the demarcation line is? Like, Mm. you know, listeners know that I took a year off this show because I've had some things going on in my life. They don't know what those things are. I have not shared those things. I think, you know, it's nice Mm. to be able to say to them, hey, I've had some shit going on without having to say, here's what it is and and that's what it is. But as a person whose job is public facing and like you said, you're telling jokes about your life Mm. and and whatever, like where do you you decide where to draw the line? How do you decide where to draw the Mm. line, you know? I think, Will, that I'm quite a respectful person Mm. in many respects. Like I don't want to hurt people. That's probably one of my things is I don't, I I don't know if I'm suited to comedy because I'm not very good at criticising others. (laughs) I'm not. I mean, you don't have to be, that's not a compulsory part of it. It does seem to be a bit of a part of it though. Um, But no, mine is more self-criticism, I suppose. And I also am trying to walk away from that too, Mm. because I'm growing up and I'm learning self-love and all of these things you're supposed to eventuate as you get older. But uh, So I suppose my stuff, the lines come from, would I be happy to say this to that person's face? Would I hurt someone's feelings that I love by saying this? Um, and sometimes you don't see it in the moment and you think you're being kind or like self-critical, but it comes off, you know, like to be honest, I just released my 2021 show, which I recorded back then and um, only have just managed to get up online t- uh, yesterday. Um, where is it? Where can people oh, it's find on it? You, it's on my YouTube. YouTube.com? Um, yes. Is that what it's that's called? That's where it's at. HTTP <laughs> colon backslash backslash but, www. But I watched that in the bath yeah. last night, okay? And it was the first time I've seen it in years. It's very Hollywood of you, by well, the way. Well, <laughs> I don't have a television. And so I just put it on my phone on the end of the bath and I oh, watched it. Okay. okay. Not quite the glamorous image I originally <laughs> no. had, but sure. And I, um, I thought actually, I think I painted a pretty dark picture, you know, of my own take on life at the time. And that's probably quite true. But at the time I thought I was just being funny and a bit, you know, loose or whatever, but now I probably wouldn't, uh, engage at that level. And so, um, I guess I just, I just, my line comes from, I, I protect the privacy of my kids and I, and, and my, my former partner. And uh, I, so this year's show is a completely different vibe. I, I think, you know, you were talking about it being a reaction to the previous year is often how you come to this year's show. This year's show is much more me. I'm much more lighthearted. I'm whimsical. I think a bit 
dumb. There's a few dumb things in there that still make me giggle on stage, you know, dumb ideas that I genuinely hold. And I'm not cutting or I don't think it's cutting. There's, there's really, I'm quite happy, you know, it's kind, of, it's kind of a different show. So how do you then, because you said this and I, I mean, I understand what you're saying when mm. you say this about, am I critical enough yeah. to be a comedian? And look, the truth of it is that I was, like, I think it's something that I struggled with as well, which is that comedically, I, I, I can be cutting in the name of comedy, absolutely. And in fact, for a while, it was kind of my stock in trade and it's still something I particularly use, like, you know, on something like Gruen, it's like a necessary part of yeah. my job description. Yeah, yeah, but absolutely. people who listen to this know that it's not... That's not a tool that I would bring to the table here. And I think people who see my stand-up have noticed that over the years it's gone more and more away from that. And part of it was that I did feel like there was that, – that is part of, you know, the perception of what comedy is, is mm-hmm. that capacity to criticise things or to cut yeah. cut things down or to be looking at things in a negative light. I mean, a lot of comedy works in black and whites. And so it's either I hate yes. this or I love this. and. It feels easier to be comedic about I hate this than it does about I love yeah. this. So more challenging road perhaps to, it, to not be that, do you think? I don't know. <laughs> like for me, um, it feels easier to mm-hmm. sort of lean into the – because actually the, that's an interesting point. Like I think there are some things in, in my show, for example, where I talk about beauty, you know, and the need to get fake nails and stuff. I've, I've got them right now. Um, so I, I take the piss out of it, but then I also go, well, I'm not giving it up. Right. You know, like <laughs> it, the fact is we're, we're all, yeah. we are both, right? We we are all things. We are failures. We are successes. Yeah. We are um, doing the right thing. We're doing the wrong thing. Um, but all of it is in, in me and I think in most of us. And I'm, a, I'm sort of saying it's okay, you know. And how do you feel that people take that? Because we live in this world, I mean, I think that's a much more accurate and natural and ordinary part of like how humans – when, when we're at our best, we realise that we're all flawed. Yeah. We're not saying that you won't make a mistake or you won't get things wrong. We're just looking for some sort of acknowledgement that when you do make mistakes or, you know, oh. uh, you know, or being able to see that issues aren't oh. all, you know, black so, and white, that there are grey areas. So true. So. You know, even deciding what you're doing in your life, uh-huh. right? I'm, I'm turning 50 this year. I think you've, most of us have been brought up unless we've been raised by geniuses, to think that you need to make the right decision. Now, that is a lot of pressure. <laughs> How do you know? You don't know enough now to know whether it's no. the You need to be in the future and look back. Was that the right mm. decision? And the thing is, <laughs> what's a more useful way of looking at things is to go just make a decision and make it right. Make it the right decision. You know, you've got a feeling and sometimes that's all you can follow. And it feels terrifying sometimes to me. And sometimes the best things in life are based on a hope that you're doing the right thing. Okay, good uh, point to ask if you have a life philosophy. You know, we've, we've already, this as this conversation goes on, of course, it <laughs> hopefully, you know, touches on a whole bunch of things. But when I ask that question, it's the central conceit and premise of the podcast is to ask the guests if they have a particular life philosophy, whether it be life, love, mm. work, 
doesn't matter really what it applies to, but, you know, I like to ask the question. Yeah. I, I knew that you like to ask mm. that question. I was talking to – can I rave on a bit with this? I, I would prefer that okay, you Okay, great, great, yeah. great. So <laughs> I – you know, even being asked that kind of question is a bit confronting, you know, as because you feel like you should know or you should have it in your back pocket and be like, oh, well, I'm about this actually. Um, and, and I don't feel that way about hardly no. anything. But my son is very smart and I love him very much and he studies philosophy and he's always been very passionate about it. And I actually spoke to him on the phone yesterday and I said, uh, I'm going to be asked of what my life mm. philosophy is. What do you reckon? And he said, um, he said, you back yourself and you're always learning and what was the first one he said? I've turned my phone off, can't look at it. Yeah, something about you're always learning. There was a first one, I've forgotten it. But um, I asked him, and that's the point, and I think I've always wanted my kids to think I did my best with them because they're the most important people for me. Um, and I think when I reflected after he said these things to me, I thought about what it I do need to have a bit of joy in every day, so I, I do try and make one thing fun in every day. I, I want to have something to look forward to. Um, and when you say you want to have something to look forward to, what sort of anything? Thing? This could be it okay, for me yeah. today. You know, um, I, seeing a friend, going out, or going for a beautiful walk, or something that gives me joy. I need to have something every day because mm -hmm. I could die, you know, and I want it to be. I mean, you could. We could. I mean, Both of us it's could. Breaking, like we're basically the same age. Breaking news. And yeah. we are now at the age, I wrote this in my book, and I'm sorry I say this all the time, <laughs> but it is absolutely true, which is that if we died, people would be like, oh, that's sad. But yeah. there would be no coronial inquest, you know? Like we are now in the zone of like it's too young, but it's not so young they're getting any authorities oh involved God, in like so doing funny. some research on it, right? It's that's true. You know, so, so you do start weighing yeah. these things up. So getting a bit of joy in your day, um, I think being kind, I do think. Yeah, so kindness doing, is one. Doing, do you... doing unto others. It's a bit of an old, mm. you know, Rules of the, the Bible and the stuff, old golden rule. Mm. Well, it's at the heart of most, yeah. you know, religions is a version of the golden rule, which mm. is some of them. It, it it always is contextual to the framing. So some in some religions, it's do unto others as you would have them do unto you, mm. and in some, it's just like don't do to other people what you wouldn't want done to you. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, right. no, I, I always think that one's better. Oh, do you? But yeah, yeah, because like, why do I want to do unto others what I want done to? Like others might not want done unto them what I like, it's, you know, like what I, what yeah. I like done unto me, you might not oh, like done unto point. you. Whereas like, I'm not going to, like, if I don't <laughs> want to be like punched in the face, I'm not going to punch you in the face. That's a good, <laughs> I reckon that's okay, a good way that's to. that's an interesting way. Yeah. I hadn't really thought about it that deeply, mm. but um, I, I think. Uh, but kindness, kindness is, is, is what got us one. there. So when you say kindness, what do you mean by that? Include people. Mm -hmm. um, if you're in a room, don't make anyone feel like an outsider, um, bring them in, make them feel good, make them feel important. You don't know whether they've had a terrible day and you might be the only person they've spoken to or, you know, make each interaction feel like you've been waiting to see them all day if you can. I had a friend that used to do that and I always, always respected that. It just, every time I saw her, it felt like she had been waiting all day to see me and it was just, there's something about that, such a gift and it's so easy to give. Um, and yeah, that's, that's good though. I like that a lot. Mm. I mean, it is, it can be such a small mindset 
shift. Mm. Part of, you know, this show being back is that I knew that part of the reason that I wasn't doing it anymore was that I, I was a little bit too fragile and this show can sometimes, you know, take a twist or turn mm. where like if you are a little fragile, it can just, you know, anyway, it can yeah. it can be hard. Oh, I mean, there's been a couple of points even in this where I've gone, oh, I feel a bit emotional. Right. <laughs> you and know, yeah, yeah. So sometimes it's heavy, yeah. if you're not prepared for it, mm. but exactly to what you're saying without me knowing that this is what you were going to be saying mm. is... I went and got myself like a hot chocolate before this. I was like, I know this is going to be nice. I'm going to drink my hot chocolate. Mm. I'm going to have a nice chat there to Chris go. about comedy and life. Like, and, and it was, it was, it could have been, I'm running late, yeah, you yeah. know, like blah, 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 this, that. Like, not that I would have in any other way not wanted to see yeah, you yeah. less or more. Because like, I mean, yeah, I arranged yeah. this. I wanted yeah, this yeah, to happen, yeah. you know. <laughs> I'm not here against my no, will. No, I know what you mean. But but the reframing just slightly in that going, no, I'm making this feel like a real treat. Absolutely. Because it is. We're lucky yeah. to do anything. I mean, some people don't get to do anything this fun. Mm. I mean, the fact that we can talk for a living, engage with, you know, like, what? This is my dream. Mm. How could this be a job? You know, and I'm sure you feel that way. You wouldn't have had a career this long. And varied if you didn't feel that way about your work. Well, I've worked very hard to not have to have a real job. <laughs> so did you have a real job though? Like, I did, yeah. What was your real job? I, I, I once had a job that I felt very – sorry, I just made a noise with the chair. It's okay. Um, We're here to make noises. <laughs> I used to be a journalist. That was yeah. my first passion and um, I loved that job. Did you study journalism? No, I wasn't smart enough. I did an arts degree. And then I did a cadetship with the South Coast, um, well, down the South Coast with Rural Press. And yeah. I worked at Maruya and I, I learned how to <laughs> be a journo and take photos and do, you know, the, the real estate pages and headlines with verbs in them. <laughs> so tell, where did journalism come from as a passion? Because you and I, mm. so I have a, yeah, so I studied journalism as well. Oh, and, okay. Um, in Canberra. So that's why oh, I was. Oh, yeah. Yes, That's so right. and lived in Canberra for a while and worked in the press gallery. And even then, journalism was kind of on the way out. You know, it was the it seemed like it was the last days of journalism, even when you know we were starting out. What was it that you know? Why was that the first career? I think I've always loved people mm. and their stories, um, and the idea of writing about people and giving them a voice and stuff. Uh, and I, I like the idea of being enmeshed in a community as well. I think, uh, yeah, I think, well, I grew up in India. I don't know if that's relevant, but I've always, I've always been interested in different experiences and cultures and people's, yeah, lives. So I think journalism just appealed to me on that level. Plus, I always just loved watching women reporters. Like, I loved mm. Yana Vent. <laughs> yeah, of course. 60 Minutes. I mean, know? around that time, everybody in my journalism course wanted to be Yana Yeah, Vent, totally. Of course. Yes. Yeah. And I did too. Strong, um, powerful woman. Oh, great eyebrows. Yeah. And I just, um, and just in war zones and stuff, yeah. and, and like the respect that commanded and the power she had, I just thought, yeah, I want people to think I'm tough and smart and they can listen to what I've got to say. Um, but then, like, <laughs> the reality <laughs> set in. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the end of that. No, I loved it still and I had some great experiences mm. and lived up and down the South Coast and then did I did an, a couple of years at AAP for, in Parliament House, just reporting on the Senate and the House, you know, late at night. And I think that's where I probably stopped 
loving journalism. Yeah, it's a good place for yeah. your love of journalism to go <laughs> to, to die. die. Yeah, exactly. Happened very young for me, but yeah, yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, place of death, the exact same place of <laughs> death. <laughs> that bubble, honestly. Yeah, it's mm. it, it wasn't a world that I wanted to live in. No. But um but I am interested so you, you mentioned India. Like mm. so when you say you were raised in India, like mm. how long was that? Uh, from three months mm. until I was nine. My dad was an agricultural economist and we went over there for his job and I went to an international um, primary school and yeah, it was just a gr- the just a formative experience I suppose. You don't realise when you're doing it, but you look back when you move you know, into your home country and you go, wow, that was pretty cool. Yeah. So how much of it, because I'm interested even in just like how much people remember of when they're young. I don't know. Mm. Do you remember what your first memory is? Oh. Like, if, or like, is there something that comes to mind at the very least that, I mean, because obviously we're not going to track it down. Mm. I don't think we have the technology available, very... but is, is there something that you think is your first memory? I have a very vivid memory of sitting on the front steps of my house in India late at night with, we had a night watchman, which is a strange thing. <laughs> Saeed used to mm. look after our house at night, mm. even though it had a fence around it. And my parents were out and I sat and I woke up. I was meant to be asleep, but I woke up in the middle of the night and I I knew they weren't home, so I just went out and sat on the front steps with Saeed and waited for them to come home. That would probably be one of my mm. earlier memories. Um, and I do have vivid memories of my childhood in India. Vivid. I don't know why, um, but it was probably... I have more memories of that than I do of me in high school, for mm. example. High school, to me, I don't really know who I was. I don't. People tell me from those days what I was like, and I was like, was I really? Okay. You know, whereas, yeah, that childhood time I do remember and, yeah. Have you, like, I mean, because India in particular is interesting to me in regard to, I mean, obviously it's a very, you know, religious, spiritual, you know, community or it can be in in Mm. various different ways. Did you see that when you were there? Like, was that part of your experience? Yeah, what I think I got an appreciation Mm. of was the diversity of religions so many different religions in India. And also I was raised Catholic at the time. So we went to a Catholic school, a Catholic um, church in India, okay. in Hyderabad. So And was there lots of Catholics? Yeah. Oh, heaps. Yeah. Heaps of Christians in, um, you know, in India, um, Muslims, um, Hindus and everything, Jain, Sikh, you know, there's so many. Yeah, so it's a Buddhist. very spiritual, like, I mean, that's what I mean, spiritually mm. rich, like, you know, like that the tapestry of religions and the celebration of religion seems to be. But I didn't know that there was a big Catholic community as well. there was. I Mm. mean, yeah. Um, And so, yeah, I I, think it was (laughs) You know what you people need? Guilt. That's what you need. (laughs) I don't know if these other religions are covering this enough. Oh, yeah. It's so, it's so formative. <laughs> so you talk about that. Like I, I talk to a lot of Catholics. Um, and I'm interested in what your relationship with religion is now. It is non-existent. Yeah. So do you carry any of it with you? So when I ask Catholics this question, most often the answer is the guilt. The guilt is the one that's hardest to shake oh, from yeah. being raised a Catholic. But do you take anything else with you from it? Look, I think there are good Christians and bad ones, just <laughs> just yeah. like in everything. You know, like my old Uncle Bill in Bondi, he used to go to church, I think, three times a week, most gentle, sweet man, and never hurt anyone really in his life. So he was a good Christian, you know. 
Um, I was I was a shit one. I I think I was um, very judgmental. I, I I came back to it in in when I was seven, 16, 17, mm. um, bec- for a boy. I fancied a guy, right. um, and I, took, I just took it up again just to. <laughs> What an idiot. Um, <laughs> I mean, of all things, I know. to take up again for a guy too, like hot, the counter-narrative yeah. that is going on there. I'm a strange person, Will. That's good. Yeah. Um, so I, I was a shit one when I took it up again. I was, yeah. just, I was full of, you know. Judgment for others. Yes. God knows why. Mm. So, um, yeah, I think the only thing now, oh, gosh, probably a couple of the, the Ten Commandments would be things that I think are fair. Mm. Um being kind. Good general rules. Good. There's a couple of good yeah. things. You know, I think Jesus, uh, you know, existed mm. and did some good stuff. Uh, I don't, I don't like anything that's happened since then <laughs> with religion. Right. Really. Yeah. Um, it's it's really Jesus more the things done in Jesus' name that yeah, uh, tend to be the problem. That's it. Yeah. yeah. So no, it doesn't doesn't come into mm. my brain very often at all. I don't think there's a lot I could say that I've taken away. Uh, did you replace it with anything or did it just go away? And uh, Probably a, a bit of feminism at mm. uni um, and uh, boys, probably. There was a bit of that. Mm. Um. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a that's an interesting <laughs> Venn diagram oh, that well, you're trying you to know, deal with. I know, like exactly. Being interested in boys and feminism at the same time <laughs> and that formative well, part of life would have been a lot of push an and pull student. and confusing <laughs> messages coming, I would have thought. <laughs> Interesting. Oh, that was an um, interesting hand movement, wasn't it? It, it wasn't was, really what I was looking for. But... Yeah, um, I, I don't know. I think that's no. just a, a woman studying arts in the 90s, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So mm. where were you studying? ANU. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So we would have probably Possibly been... crossed paths at yeah, some point at a gig or something. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure that we could actually track it down mm. at some point. I used to go to ANU to the film night all the time. Oh, did you ever yeah. go to the film yes, night at I ANU? Yes, I did. There you go. Well, yes. I reckon if we found the right movie, we'd be able to <laughs> identify being in the same room back in those days. I reckon. Pretty simple. Oh, wow. That's cool. So, all right. Um, so you, you replace it with a bit of feminism, but it, for the rest of your life, because, you know, mm. like this – this podcast, you know, what I, one of the things I do like to talk to people about is, you know, what I, what I, what is it that you do think, you know, humans are all about? Like if religion isn't the answer, mm. you know, if the things the Catholic Church told you that it's like living a you know, good or bad life so you can be judged or not yeah. judged and you can end up in heaven or hell and, you know, like th- that's, you know, well, at, least, at least we know the rules. Here are the rules. Yeah. This is what they are. This is These are the consequences if you don't follow the rules. Mm. Are, now, mm. I don't believe those rules are, you know, are true and that that is the game that we are playing. But if you take away that and what? you are left with, what, what do you replace it with? Or do you just not replace it with anything at all? Personally, I think you're, you are responsible to those that you care for mm-hmm. and how you treat them and the, the if you have children, you're responsible for demonstrating what it is to be a good person or live a good life or live a fulfilling life that enriches others as well as yourself. Um, I think, you know, it's really difficult to find the right answers at the right time. You know, you can find them in retrospect. It's really easy to look back and go, I should have done this or I shouldn't have done that. Um, Trying not to live a life with regret and self-judgment is one of the hardest things, I think. Um, perhaps, mm, what I, I can't remember the question. I think it's, you're, you're asking, what do you, how do you decide how to live yeah. now? 
without the structure of any judge, like formal religion. Yeah, if it's up to you, if it's up how to do me, you decide? Well, I, I, I guess I have to decide on who I surround myself with and how they f- think I'm doing. You know, I, I can't see how I'm doing. Like, I think it's whether you have people that think you're a good influence in their life or not, whether you're worth being around or not, whether you're d- living within your values so you've got to know what they are. And and how do you decide that? How do you decide? I mean, I know this is like all hard stuff, right? It is, like, isn't but this it? is the this, this is, is kind where, of this is the guts of it, isn't yeah, it? It is. I think it is, and your, your values are always changing. I think probably at the heart of it for me is you've got to learn self compassion. That's been one thing I've been working on very hard for mm. the last maybe five years. And it sounds easier than it is for uh, certain people. I mean, the, you've, it's it's been a theme that's come up a few times now. You talk about this idea of, like, forgiving yourself in the past or being able to look back and say, I didn't know at the time, you mm. know, what, what this was. But I – because this is the thing I think we struggle more broadly with as a society as well, is distancing – like because we we're currently in this cycle. Like to just relieve this conversation for a sec to broaden it out, and then we'll bring it back in mm. if that's okay. But um, at the moment in our society, you know, we are struggling with this idea of like what, how do we judge past wrongs so that they so can true. be judged? Like that is something that you know sometimes there are historical wrongs Absolutely. that need to be addressed versus. What are things that were mistakes of the past but are forgivable mistakes so of the past true. because we no one knew better, right? And and they're, they're two different things. Like, you know, taking accountability for things you need to take accountability for it, it can be separated, I think, from m- making a mistake in the past that no one at the time knew it was a mistake, <laughs> you know? And I think that often we get those two things confused when we're having these broader discussions. You know, we, we confuse a, a historical sex crime with... Um, uh, you know, somebody like making an off-colour joke in a yeah. thing 20 years ago and you're like, yeah, but that was what people did 20 mm. years ago, mm. whereas the historical sex crime was still a crime when Even it was happening then. 20 years ago. That's you right. know, like, So I think they are different things. So, But I think it's important that we have these conversations about so true. ourselves and how we are accountable ourselves versus so true. when we can also let ourselves off. So, so true. I've God, you're really, you're getting into this. This <laughs> is now, bloody good. So look, I yeah. think, okay, speaking honestly, yeah. um, I mean, I, I've separated with the father of my children, a like brilliant man um, who I was with for 26 years. I did this last, last March and I moved to Sydney. And that is a massive thing to do to a family. Um, I have a 17 year old at home. They are finishing year 12 this year and, and um, my son is 19 and he's in second year uni at Wollongong. So one had already moved out, one was still at home and I, I left. And the, I think, you know, that is something that is such a massive decision in my life that I may look at for the rest of my life and wonder, was it the right one, you know? And, and and question myself and be like, you, you should have been tougher. You should have been better. You should have been able to be happy because you had everything. But um, that's not a helpful way of thinking, you know, like to spend your whole life going, if you could have only been a bit different person, you could have made everything easier for everyone else. But 
that's just not helpful. You are who you are and you will make the mistakes you make and you'll, for some reason, feel the way you do. And, you know, I wish I could have been someone who could have been happy and fixed all my problems, you know, and not changed anything because change is so hard. So, you know, to to not forgive yourself or be kind to yourself after making such a difficult move um, is just such an act of horror. You know, you can't do that to yourself. And you wouldn't want anyone else to do that to themselves either. You know, I think there's a huge stigma in breaking up relationships, even now, even though we don't believe in religion and we, and I wasn't even married, you know, we're just de facto. The stigma around separation, if you're a parent, is still so strong, people are ashamed of themselves. And I think probably the one thing I've taken away from religion is I will not believe in shame. No, particularly when, like, if I, if I said to you that one in every two people who walk into this room, a bucket of paint falls on their head, mm. then it would be pretty mean of you to mock. Yeah. Like the, yeah. you know, every second person who walked out of here with a bucket of paint on their yeah, head. Yeah, so true. Right? Like, it's it's what happens, unfortunately. Well, I mean, not even unfortunately. It's just what happens. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm not putting any yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, judgment yeah, yeah, yeah. one way or the other on those sort of things. But, Yeah, the stats know, are not good. <laughs> no. Eventually, the game's always rigged against mm. you. It's like you yeah. can have a win at the casino. Mm. You can have a good streak. But and the other thing is, it was a win. Yeah, that's a win. Like 26 yeah. years. Why are we even saying that's it not a win? It was great. Yeah. You know, it was exactly what it yeah. needed to be. I mean, that's know? a lot. It's a great thing. In the old days, you'd both be dead by I then. can't believe. You know, I never thought I was capable of being with someone yeah. for that long. So that I mean, in it's, itself is a success in it's my book. incredible. And like, anyway, I'm not going to mm. delve into your personal mm. circumstances around that. But but what I do want to talk about is this idea that, say, when you go through something like mm. that and you are like, you know, like you said, like it comes with a reframing of who you are and your life, yep. you know, that coincides with this point in your career where your career is part of the reframing, right? Like I am now going to be this person who, has, you know, like mm. this is me now. This is my life mm. and, you know, comedy and my career is definitely a part of that. Um, how do you, you know, like not make it too much, not make it like the, you know, do you mean like you can't put – all of it, like all the emotion of one thing into no. your career or you have to kind of make sure that you have a life and, and these other things, a different life around it. Like, have you thought about that? I think that is really poignant, what you've just said. Like, you do have to think about what you're doing here. You, you don't have to. You could just go breezing through life without thinking about Seems stuff. like a good approach to Well, I've always been jealous of people yeah. who do that. But, but um, you will not get invited on this podcast because yeah, well, you've been a bad chat. Okay. Well, that's nice. <laughs> I, I, that's actually nice to hear. Um, but I, I met a person recently mm. who uh, – a friend of – a dear friend, Luke Heggie, one of his mates from school, he has a list – he's my age of, – of all his values and – qualities that he admires and things he wants to be and stuff. And I just, he showed me the list and it was extraordinary. I've never sat down and made a list of what my values are. What is my value statement? Um, And, and also, you know, what behaviors, what, what activities do I want to engage in more as a human being to be, to find, I guess, happiness or fulfillment on this life. And um, volunteering was on there, you know, and I, I thought, wow, I've often thought that's something I ought to do, <laughs> and I have not carved out the space to do it. 
and I've got plenty of space to do it. So there's, I think it's time, I'm coming to a point where I think I'm going to make a little list because lists work well for me, Will. I mean, I think that like cause something you, has been somatic to this conversation, which I've loved, I've really responded to is this idea of that sometimes you're the worst person to make decisions for yourself, particularly mm. when you're in the middle of some sort of, you know, trauma or crisis, mm. but just in general in life, sometimes oh, it's true. hard when, you know, you're the, in the middle of everything just yeah. to see what is apparent to those, you know, looking on the outside. And I think that like a list sometimes is mm. you stepping outside yourself, right? Yeah. And checking like having a look it. at your life and saying like, what is it that I think that I value versus how is it that I am living my life? And sometimes, and it's, it cannot be your fault, sometimes you can go a, a really long way away from your values because the circumstances of your life have meant that the thing that isn't concordant to your values t is taking up so much of your mm. time and your life that there is no space for, whether it be volunteering yeah. or whether it be whatever, like that, that thing, the thing that would have being a balanced part of who you are and what makes you up has been consumed by this like overwhelming other thing. Yep. And now suddenly you're in this place where you have to make decisions around what is it that I value? Absolutely. Not what do my kids or someone yep. else or whatever require of me or need of me or what is it that they are passionate about or what do they value? But literally, what is it that I value? So true. Hard. And That's sometimes hard, that though, happens right? to people when they are need uh, like neck deep in a career that pays them very well mm. and they're like I hate this job I hate who it's made me become <laughs> yeah and and I have an entire family dependent on the income from this job like that's not me I mean I don't make any money <laughs> but but you know there are people who will who struggle to make the decision to break out of this sinkhole of life that they've made for themselves based around finances because we need to live and we create a structure around us that depends on too much money. Um, and and then they can't live within their values because they have no hope of getting back to it. So I think my point is don't be successful financially. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a trap. <laughs> I mean, the rat race, it's, it is a trap though. There, I, the golden I, cage I used to call. Yeah, yeah, I think that there is... I mean, you know, there's that old Lily Tom Tomlin line, which is like, you know, the problem with the rat race is that even if you win, you're still a rat. And mm. I think that it's, I mean, it's it, it's a clever joke, but it's also mm. true in a lot of ways yeah. is that we can spend a lot of our time, you know, particularly as comedians, I find this interesting. So it teaches you how little you need to live because so much of our life is on the road. This is what I, I often, you know, mm. th there'll be some local magazine or some local newspaper and they'll be like, you know, what are your um, <laughs> items you can't live without or your whatever it is, you know? And I'm like, yeah, headphones. I, I'm always like, I don't know, my <laughs> computer, I guess. Like, you know, like, because you're not attached to things yeah. in the same way as people who live in the houses Absolutely all the time. Not. You realize that a lot of the time, what you're actually attached to is how little can I live with so that I can travel efficiently and with a smaller suitcase and live in a smaller space. So right. I can afford to live. Yeah. And or live in a small space so that I don't have to spend two hours of my day cleaning the house yep. where I could be being creative. Totally. Or commuting, mm. you know, to gigs. Um, if I can live closer and smaller, right. I'm going to do that on, on the bus, you know, to get to gigs and stuff.
So you talk about this idea of, you know, the central theme of what you're doing being you, um, that you're the connective tissue in mm. between. What does the audience think you are? Like, what would be the major difference? I don't, and I'm not mm. talking about specific examples necessarily, but like between what the audience's perception of what, who you present you are on stage versus who, who you really are in real life, what are the major differences or similarities? Maybe what's the thing that's most the same huh. and what's the thing that's most different maybe? Wow, okay. It's fasc fascinating to think about that. I'll give you some thinking time if you want. I'll tell you what, yeah. just off the top of my Go. head what, what I, how I would ask. Because sometimes when I ask these questions, I'm like, I wonder how I would answer yeah. that question. I think that I, I'm very quiet in real life. And so the biggest mistake people would make about me is because I talk for a living and it feels like I just can't stop talking. I think that they would think that I would be a really big talker, whereas I'm a very, very quiet person. I love mm. to listen. But um, mm. so I reckon that's a major difference and the major similarity. What would the major similarity between, between me and, oh, I do love puns and wordplay oh, in okay. real life. So like... You know, part of when it's in my act, you know, you said before that there are a few things in your act that are there mostly because they make you laugh, yeah. you know, and there's definitely that. And it's always the puns and the wordplay. And the reason that they are in the show is not because I think they make me look like a more accomplished comedian. They're in the show because That's how you they're think. the exact same things that would make me laugh in real life. They're yeah. there because that is honest. Yeah. You know, that little bit there that I did about the dough puns, like, is one of the most honest bits of the show because that's also the little riff I would have had with my friends about the same thing yeah. or whatever it is. So yeah. that's my similarity and that's my difference off ah, the top of my head. That's great. There you go. Uh, when I started comedy, I wrote to David O'Doherty mm -hmm. um, and I asked him, give me one tip. And he said, do what you think is funny, not what other comedians think mm -hmm. is funny. I just thought that played into what you just talked about. Um, I think that's great advice, yeah, by the way. I thought it was very generous of him to email me back. And I other said to, to Other comedians, like somebody said a similar thing to me early and said, they said, you can make the other comedians laugh, but here's the thing you'll know about the other comedians. They're never going to pay for a ticket to your show. Yeah, so, so true. If your parents, like, it, it, that's the same thing with your family. It's yeah. like, like, as in your broader family or whatever. It's like, my mum, I'm glad that, you know, mum likes my shows and dad comes, which is nice. You know, that's, mm. I, they've all stopped now. But like, yeah, they're a bit old now to mm. be doing that. But they did, you know. Yeah, right. And but it's not for them. No, like, that's right. And if you think it's meant to be for them, no. they're not paying for tickets. No, that's... And neither are the other comics at the back of the room. So they, true. That is a bad business decision bad if they're the people that you, you're worrying about the most. Absolutely. I think um, I'm – there. honestly, there is so much that is similar between me on stage and off stage. I think, though, they think I'm tougher than I am. Mm -hmm. I'm not that tough. I'm very weak and fragile off stage. So throw away comments. Like when they say something um, to me off stage, I can't think of an example. No, no, but I know, but I, I understand what you mean. You a throw away comment, perhaps about mm. how many people were in tonight, or mm -hmm. or whether that particular joke got nothing, or something. You know, I don't know. Just a throwaway mm. comment can really cut me. And I don't think they have any appreciation that that happens. Um, also, um, because you seem a bit impervious up there, yeah. you feel like you're in charge, yeah. you're in control, absolutely. And so, in a way, like often when people are saying this, they're not like, 
oh, that didn't work well. They're just trying to join yeah, in or yeah, be boisterous think, or think, think that that's part of the banter. That's right, right that I'm still yeah. in that persona. And, yeah, so I'm a lot tougher and stronger, I reckon, on stage and a lot more questioning and um, self-loathing off stage probably. <laughs> I mean, I um, – and so that's the difference. The similarity, I they're, – they're exactly my thoughts. I just probably wouldn't say them all, you know? Like the the thoughts are mine, yeah. um, so it's similar. Have you ever said anything on stage that you like? Was there a process you went through where you said things? Because like Mandy Nolan's advice being such great yeah. advice, right? Like there was obviously a period early on where you were saying things that weren't, you know, necessarily true to you, or at least not fully true to you. They were just so dumb. They were just dumb. They were so dumb and meaningless. They had no meaning in them. Mm. I think that's probably my difference now as a person doing comedy is I just, if I'm going to say something, I I want it to either make, just genuinely be dumb and funny or have a point. Yeah. I, don't, I don't really care much for just getting up there to get attention or I, I often wonder why people take up comedy or think that they should. And they, I, people have said this to me, often men, um, oh, I've often thought I should uh, mm. get up and uh, give that a crack. And I'm like, well, why? If it's just to be seen uh. um, and show off, that is not a, uh, that has no sustainability. I mean, it's there's easier ways to do it. Is yeah. what I would say. Just go to karaoke. Yeah, if that's your thing, just do a TED talk or you know get it's fine. Do rostrum. Yeah, this is real hard if all you want is attention. <laughs> and also, if you think you're cool and tough and funny, that is the wrong attitude for comedy. You need to th- think that there's no outlet except this, and unfortunately, you need to use it to say something. <laughs> you know, like you need to have to feel like you're wrong and outcast and, yeah. and everything's broken and you've got to talk about it. Yeah, I don't know who said it, but it's good advice, which is if you can do something else, do that. Do that, <laughs> yeah. Like you should do comedy if it's all you can do. Mm. And like, you know, by the way, I don't actually think there's any rules necessarily. Like, I mean, I think comedy sometimes can be like skydiving in that if you want to try it once, try it once. Like you're allowed to have it as an experience, Mm. but we're talking about the idea of somebody who's decided to dedicate their life and their craft to comedy, right? So was there a point where you decided when was like, because you do raw (laughs) comedy, you're just telling some funny stories from your life, but it goes well. You get a little bit of the excitement of the fact that it's gone well when does it become, like, is it from that very moment of, like, it's gone well to where you start to go, oh, hang on, there's something here? Or where in the process, where over the next few years does it go from here's something that I tried and I was good at to being something like this is maybe what I'm going to do with the rest of my life? There was a bit of a turning point and it's quite... I don't understand why this was a turning point for me. Yeah, I loved it from the moment I started, so I just kept going. Um, But there was a turning point... In about 2000, I want to say 17, 18 maybe, um, I, I did a run of gigs. I did some gigs in Brisbane and then I did some gigs at the Gold Coast. Mm-hmm. And the gig, I don't know if you've done those Gold Coast gigs. Oh, well, the Gold Coast, <laughs> Gold Coast and I have a long and fractious relationship. And I love the Gold Coast. Yeah. I used to holiday there as a kid and my cousins live there and I love being there. But I live in uh, the Northern Rivers of New South Wales at the moment and uh, – I have been spending a lot of time on – because, see, the truth of it is, in the old days when I would say Gold Coast, what I really meant was surface surface paradise. I know. You know? Yeah, there's a lot more to it now. The rest of the Gold Coast is 
well, beautiful. Yeah, and there's like, good bits. There's and heaps. full of great people. Correct. And, you know, surface paradise is still surface paradise. It but it would be like judging America by Las Vegas or no, judging right. you know, Sydney by King's Cross or whatever. No. It's not representative no. of everything else that there is. Yeah, I love it. But I, I did it. have a gig one night at uh, somewhere on the somewhere. Gold Coast mm-hmm. that – where I felt like the Gold Coast and I had a mutual breakup. Yeah. <laughs> where I walked off stage going, I'm never coming back here. <laughs> and they would have walked out of that gig going, we're fine Good. with that. No yeah. one's going to miss you. <laughs> well, look, I'm glad you understand what I'm talking about. So yeah. I had a run of gigs there and they're, they're free gigs in, in pubs and stuff. And and I just, I think I was MC and the headliner, and I'm not going to say who it was, mm-hmm. but they were so happy doing these gigs and they were crushing these gigs. And I wasn't, mm-hmm. and we were quite different vibes. And I, I, I had a chat with this headliner and they were just saying, this is the best. I also get to do cruise ships. Um, I just, I love comedy. This is like the best career for me. And I'm so happy. I came f- away from that. And I had three days of depression. Mm. I went and lay in my bed. I actually wrote a joke about this some years later. And if excuse me if I do a bit, but it's basically no, I, um, I'm no GP, but I think you can catch depression from certain people. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> I once had to talk to this bloke who was so boring for three minutes that I needed to lie down for three days. Now, the, he wasn't boring, but the thing was I no. thought, oh, my God, if that's what comedy is, perhaps mm. I should stop now. Right. Um, because I don't want any of that. None of this works for me. It's not, I don't feel this in my heart. What am I doing? And yet I don't want to do the other thing I used to be doing anymore. I just want to do comedy. Um, so I, I had a big, deep think about it. I think I made an appointment with a psychologist and started to figure out what it was that I actually really wanted. And I did want to do it full time. So I had to just, you know, we were luckily in a position financially in my family where we could give me a chance at that. My partner was supportive. And so I, I took I, I took it up a notch and um, and that's where we that's where it was. So it's interesting because what you because like there's nothing wrong with what that guy's reaction is oh, as well. And look, because, I've done cruise and it was heaps of fun. Yeah, but also better someone who appreciates where they're at and maybe the level they're always going to be at. Mm. Like, and there's nothing wrong with that. Because that person, without wanting to go yeah. into who it was, that type of person mm. could be one of two types of people often, which mm. is the person who's just wrapped, that yep. this is their life. and Genuinely wrapped. Genuinely wrapped. And they're probably doing a great job at all those Perfect. things that they do because of that, right? 100%. Because they're very happy to be there. They're not thinking it's a step on the way to something else no. or someplace that isn't for them or whatever. Like this is, they're being there right now and that's you know, probably part of it. There is another person who's in that exact same place who's bitter and horrible and, yeah. and you know, because they never could get to the next level and they can't accept that they're not yep. going to get to the next level. But that is not – I, I one of the no, great pieces of advice. And I'm not being advi- mean no. about it either. And that's kind of what yeah. I'm trying to say. This mm. is a moment where you realise mm. that comedy isn't one experience. This is a moment where you had to realise comedy can – like that can be part of comedy. Nothing Absolutely. wrong with what that guy's doing, but that's not what I want to be doing. No. And maybe I – can do this a different way. I was talking to Ursula about this the other day, which is over the last couple of years, the last two shows I've done post-pandemic, and this was purely out of um, – uh, it was not my choice. It was literally out of circumstance that this happened. They were the first two shows that I – both of those shows, when I did them, had been entirely conceived without an audience involved in any way. There had been no routines that had sort of been tried at, like, open mic gigs or anything like that. They were conceived as – 
shows and ideas and like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like some people in Adelaide in that first week would say, no, we were your open mic. And I was like, good point. Well made. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> but they hadn't, you know, that was just the circumstance. There, there's not one way to write a show. There's, you know, different shows of mine have been, as I said, written down, some of them entirely in my head, some of them one big story, some of them interconnected stories, like some of them have a narrative through it, like some of them jump around in time. Like, I mean, there's no right or wrong way to do, like to even just write one show, mm. let alone have, have whole your career. whole your career, right? Mm. And, but it is important to get to the point, and this is a long-winded yeah. way of saying this, where you start to make some decisions around what sort of comedy career you would like to have. Because, like, right throughout my career, there's been uh, uh, many junctures where I could have taken it in one way or another, and you have to make that choice. What sort of, what's important to me? What do I value? What, what do I want my comedy career to be? And sometimes there might even be times where you need to invent something. Like it might be Chris Absolutely. Ryan is the first person who comes along and says, this is a way of doing this mm, mm. and I am going to do well, it this way. Look, to be honest, I mean, we all do find our own ways. I agree with you completely. And I started in Canberra. There wasn't an enormous scene. There's a much bigger scene now, but there weren't, I couldn't do gigs every night. People kept telling me, you know, people from Sydney who work very hard would say, oh, well, you'd, it's not worth doing comedy unless you're doing it every night, two gigs a night. Why aren't you? You should be doing this. It, that just didn't that didn't ring true for me. I, my career started with one gig a month if I was lucky, you know. So you can do it your own way. But I think probably that turning point for me was when I realised I really want to find my people. There's no point saying this into the wind, you know. I need people to hear me that actually give a shit about what mm -hmm. I've got to say. Um, so how did you start finding them? I don't then? think I've found them yet. I really don't. So who are they? Well, they're women. Where are they? Oh, they're women. Let's find them. Yeah, fully. Like, well, look, you know, half the people listen to this, actually more than half, because mm. it turns out women are bigger supporters of mine than men. I, there is a certain um, uh, percentage of men who, I don't know what it is. I lost some at some point. Yeah, right. But luckily, uh, women have always been great supporters yeah. of my work. So it always tends to be on most things I do about a 60-40, like, you know, split. and. Yeah. So there's some women here. Oh yeah, let's, no, let's, I, let's, I appreciate let's, that. Uh, let's see not, if we can um, let's see you, if we Will. can connect them. <laughs> do, would you like to meet some uh, of them? Yes, I would. But, but what <laughs> you know, what I'm saying is, you, you do, and you. But you've done this over very many years, and you've got you've got lots of feathers to your what is it? Quip, bow, whatever it is, mm. things in your arrow, whatever. You Tiara. Can, no. <laughs> you've got a lot of things going on. Yes, you have built a lot of things, and you've got all these channels for people to come to you. I'm only just starting realizing that, so I'm starting a podcast with my friend Sarah Gore. Uh, I, you know, I made some animations over lockdown where I did chats with my mum. It's called Chats with Mum. It's on, it's up online. But um, when you say you made some anim animations, I learned how to use animation software. You did it, yeah. It was semi yourself. yeah. It was semi automated, mm. uh, off the shelf yeah. stuff that you pay a subscription to, and it creates it in the cloud. You you make it, and you put in the audio, and you animate it. And I, I did uh, two six episode seasons of that. Um, and so I'm just starting, and you know, I've written a script with Sarah and we're trying, you know, we're trying to make little things. I've got it. I'm touring nationally now. So there's, there's a few little irons in the fire. I think that's what I was looking to say. So when you're touring nationally, cause like one of the things that I've heard this year, and I don't mean to embarrass you to say this, but like I keep hearing from people 
how good your work is. Oh. Like, you know, like, I mean, I think for a few years, there's been a bit of a buzz around you. Like people have always, when I've been doing projects, yours is a name that always like gets mentioned by people. But it feels like this year, a lot more people were like, it wasn't, sometimes Thank it's you, in a situation where you're like, who's around, who's doing well, and your name would get mentioned. Whereas like this year, it felt like people were just coming and telling oh, me without so me nice. asking, you that's know? so kind. And does it feel like that for you? Is there, has there been some sort of... I don't know. Like, I mean, that's very anecdotal what I've just said to you. So I don't have any reason or science behind what I'm saying. But do, have you taken a step up in your work? Is there something about what you're doing at the moment that feels like you've gone up a gear or something? I think this year's show was very personal and mm. I think I had a very honest moment in it. And um, I had a few beautiful comedians that I really respect see the show and tell me they enjoyed it. And mm. that that's pretty much like the best thing I could ask for. So um, it, it meant a lot, you know. There's been some great people come and see the show that meant a lot to me that they saw it and took the time to tell me they enjoyed it and then helped other people to find it too. So, yeah, it's incredible when that happens. Okay, so that's part of it, right? Word of mouth, finding mm. your audience through recommendations mm. of other people, people hearing that it's good. What sort of person is going to connect to what you're doing, do you think? I mean, again, hopefully everyone, right? Like that's, mm. Oh, that's, absolutely. Your ideal business model is yeah. everyone. Of course. But, but I know now at this stage of my career when I see young people in the audience, they've been dragged there by their parents. Mm. And I am grateful of yeah, their of parents course. who followed me for 30 years yeah. and now have children of their own that they're dragging along. Thank you. <laughs> I have bills to pay and I don't have a lot of superannuation. So, um, no, I appreciate it. But mm. like, but, yeah, who's the people who are going to drag the others along? Who are we looking yeah, to round up is I what we're interested in. We're, we're looking. I reckon if I had to say a gender, it would be probably pre women and non-binary people. Yeah. Um, it would be like uh, from the age of about 30 to about 50, 60. Well, 60, I would say, 65, mm. 70. I've had 70-year-olds in. Um, and I'd say they... Look, they're people who don't have all the answers and don't mind having a laugh at themselves, but also I, I, I think I'm, probably my main comedy philosophy I got from my cousin Stacey from the Gold Coast, which is we're all the same. We live in different houses. I, honest, I've had people just say, I feel like you've been watching me. Yeah. So it's just I'm having this. I'm just saying what we've all been thinking, you know, with regards to our relationships, with our relationships with ourselves, um, the women we think we should be, why we can't be them, you know, what is, why we feel so angry at society and yet we still make the dumb decisions that we make. Yeah. You know, who can we blame for this shit? You know, <laughs> nobody, I'm still making the wrong choices. What's going on? I mean, that's the worst thing of all, though, isn't it? <laughs> that re that realisation that you've just said, which is you can have all the self-awareness around the fact that you are the person who's in charge of your decisions or whatever. Unfortunately. And then, yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> yes. What a, exactly. I am the person who's in charge uh, of my decisions, comma, unfortunately. <laughs> and yet if that was taken away from me, yeah. I'd be furious. Let me make my wrong decisions, yeah. you know. I'd like to make better decisions, mm, though. Me too. How do you make better decisions, do you think? Gosh, I don't know. Do you, Like, I mean, because it feels like something you've thought about is like at least the fact that you have to make your own decisions oh. and you definitely are aware of the fact that sometimes they're wrong and, you know, you've circle, you've talked a little about like, you know, the fact that there's been some big moments in your life recently where, that would have involved, you know, sort of big decisions. So I, how do you make good ones? Do you know, <laughs> I do, 
the only answer I can mm. come up with for you, Will, is at the end, you have to be responsible for your own happiness. And I believe we ought to try. I think it's worth trying to be happy. <laughs> mm. I don't think it's frivolous. I think it's essential because from that you have the energy and the goodwill to give to others. Um, and not to mention that you are satisfied and, and probably at peace in yourself more. So if you're doing things that at the end of the day, I hate that saying, but politicians love saying that, um, if you can be happy with yourself and you realise that it's your responsibility, nobody else is going to make you happy, you have to find a way to be happy, then you need to align your life and your values and make your choices that fit into that. Why can't someone else just, why can't it be their job to make me happy though? <laughs> I have tried that, mate. Yeah. It doesn't work. It doesn't though, does it, unfortunately? <laughs> oh, man. Um, okay, so I have some standard questions I'd like to ask on the show. Um, we've kind of hinted at least at part of the answer to one of these, but there's more to it, so I'm going to ask it in full, which is what do you think happens when we die? I think that... We live on in the memories that we leave with others, so you better make sure that you're not a terrible person. <laughs> um, so, and you go to dust into the earth. Um, so make sure that the life you led was worth it and you did some good stuff and helped people and that kind of thing. Do I mean, do you think that – is it important to you to be remembered? Oh, be terrible not to be. Yeah, see, that's where we differ. Like I, oh. I think the no, idea. No, I mean of, by those that love you. Yeah, even then. Oh, really? There's a small. Yeah, I think there's a part of me that would just be like, I think it'd just be nicer if once you died, you were just kind of erased from all public record. But what about private record? Yeah, I think it would be easier on them too, right? Oh, if they just forgot that yeah. you existed and they right. didn't have the heartache. Yeah. I think wow, that would be like that's a nice some matrix shit right there. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine. Okay, so, yeah, no, I disagree. No, no, no I mean, most people do. I yeah, think everybody you're, does. I you're mean, quite odd, aren't you? I don't know. Like, I mean, it's it's funny because I always have the contradiction of, like, you know, my job is so public-facing. So, yeah. like, you could absolutely make an argument around, like, then why are you on stage? Why are you recording these podcasts? Why do you constantly talk? I mean, mostly, to be honest, Chris, it's because... I have no other skills. <laughs> like, you know, I, I, like everybody, I need to earn a living and this is how I earn my living and I enjoy it and I'm passionate about it there and all those sort of things. But but the idea that it needs to have some – because I believe that when I die, my awareness of existence immediately ceases. Yeah. The idea that – Oh, I just am speaking to my experience of when, yeah. other, when others die. I, I know. I'm not – and again, yeah. I'm like I, – I, I agree with what you're saying. Like I've, I've – extrapolated it beyond yeah, perhaps what have. it needs to be. But but there is part of me that is we're all forgotten eventually. Um, we speak today Correct. in the middle of like a really recent trauma for me. Someone that I knew literally has you know, died quite suddenly oh, within sorry. the last 24 hours. Oh, and sorry. a former guest on this podcast, people will know who I'm talking about. I won't go into it because when we're recording, it's but someone whose partner I've known for over a decade and um, you know, died very unexpectedly around our age, even mm. younger than we are. And it makes you think about all these things, which is the nature of how you're remembered, True. how you like you lived, whatever. True. And I think that 
the thing that I guess it, it, it sounded defeatist when I said it, but I, I think I, what I'm really thinking yeah, about yeah. is it's frustrating because people will say all these you, other you things. You want to alleviate pain. You want to alleviate pain. And also remembering someone is so fucking useless. No, it's not. I know it's not, of no, course, but it feels today is no. what I'm saying. It feels fucking useless. It feels like, yeah, great. Like all these people are saying all these nice things about, about this person, but they're not here anymore. Okay. Does but, that make sense? Yes, it does. Yeah. But what about the path these people took in their lives and mm. what that can teach others that may not have thought they had the chance to do that thing or follow that kind of path or perhaps, you know, that the, that it shows, you know, the idea of what you can achieve in your life or the person, the kind of person you can become or, you know. Oh, no, I agree. Mm. I, they, they are all nice things we tell each oh, okay, other. Sorry, to, I'm being no, dumb. I, no, I agree. Like, you're <laughs> right. I'm, what I'm trying to say is that right now, all that stuff yeah. feels so useless. Like to his wife and their kids, mm. that is useless. Yeah. Like to the family and the people who worked with him and the, it's all fucking useless. Like it's lovely and but I get it. But that's just a stage. But it's. But that's just a stage of yeah. grief. And the, I know. But that's it's. That's just a stage. Yeah. And I do believe that, well, it's evidenced in statistics and psychological understanding oh, that that, that passes. No, but statistics it, no, but and it, psychological uh, understanding to uh, the uh, table. I, I mean, you know this. No, of course I do. So once that stage is over, perhaps there'll be a more reflective stage where that you can mm. accept that kind of concept is not completely entirely yeah. useless. But it's always about our own acceptance of it, isn't it? Yeah. Like for the person who's gone, if you believe that once you're gone, you're gone it doesn't actually matter to them anymore. Like mm. it doesn't. And I wonder, I wrestle with that because I know now, like <laughs> I've done enough that I make the the Logies fucking, you know, if, whenever I die, I get on the Logies reel, right? Righto. Like, you know. Gr- You've already, yep. You know I what I mean? understand that. Like. Of course. I can't die anonymously now. Okay. I die sadly and anonymously maybe in 30 years, like if everything goes away and then you're a footnote in some, like remember that guy who used to be someone, he finally died. Or I die in the middle of me being a public figure and it's in the papers and mm. people talk about it and they they just, you know, like I've seen it happen with friends of mine, like, you know, like all people that I know or understand. That reckoning with who you are after you're done. I, like there's just part of me that would love, I guess, to just completely disappear. That just to completely disappear. Yeah, I imagine that is a reaction from mm. having such a public life, as you've said. And and I mean, it's you wouldn't even like to hear it, but there would be so many people just would want you to know how much they adored what you did. But I know, but I'm not there. So how how is that of use to me? I'm well, dead. You should know now. <laughs> just know now. I'm telling. I'm speaking it for is, all of them. I mean, I I talk about this. I wasn't going to talk about this. It's too fresh, you know. Like mm. it's too real at the moment to really be talking. But we came to it in a really natural way, and it's yeah, it's a hard wrestle. That it idea is. of you know whether what's what does the world owe you? What do you owe the world? Man, you know, it's hard. Isn't this it? is a f- deep. Podcast man, I don't know. If, <laughs> no, I don't this know if is you, why I had a break. I can Chris. see why because I honestly sitting here, yeah. I'm like jumping ahead into the future when one of us dies, yeah. and I'm thinking, oh my god, I was sitting here with, you know, or like you know, like you all have sit there and go, oh, I sat there with her, you know, like it's 
And well, it really does feel yeah, like something. Yeah, so this person, I mean, look, it, people will know who mm. it is. Like, I, I, mm. So Jock Zonprillo, who is the chef, like from MasterChef, um, you know, so I'm not going to go into the no. details around any of it, but both he and his wife, Lauren. So Lauren has been a friend of mine for over a decade. She's mm. a regular panellist on Gruen. And so I got to know him a little bit through her mostly. Mm. And, um, you know, he did the podcast as well. So literally I have sat across from both of them. Yeah, right. And I've asked them that same question. What do you think happens when you die? I've had that conversation with, you know, a person. I know what his answer is. It's on the record. You could go and listen to – in fact, if I hadn't brought the podcast back, it would have been the very last podcast they ever did because he was a guest on the last oh one my I God, did. So, we, like, there was even a bit of me. Mark Marin does this thing, and I don't know how I feel about it. So we had a chat about it when Father Bob um, passed, yep. like a, you know, a couple of weeks ago now. And Father Bob was a previous guest on the show, and there was some chat around. Do you do, do a like just say, hey, you know, here's the episode with yeah. Father Bob if you want to have a listen to it. And Mark Marin does that when like a comedian dies or something, he'll do a reintroduction. He'll put it at the top, and I've never known how I feel about yeah, it. Yeah, okay. Because there's part of me that is like. Is this a commercialization? Am I using this person's death to promote my yeah. own thing? But well, but when Mark does it, I'm always wrapped that he's done yeah. it because it's an honouring. It's an honouring, and I want to, and it does mean that I because I didn't necessarily know that it was there. Go searching for the thing, but because it's up at the top of the feed, I'm like, oh great, I am actually going to listen to this thing. And so I guess this is my version of doing this in yeah. this podcast is to say that that you know Jock and 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 Bob's episodes are both there if you want to have a listen, but. I think that Jock would feel so raw. It's a different scenario. I mean, Bob was old and, mm. you know, like, I mean, you know, lived a full life. And and with Jock, it just feels so, so fresh. And oh, the yeah. idea that you have had that conversation with somebody about, you know, that very thing. It's, yeah, it's it, 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 yeah. it's a lot. Yeah, it's a anyway, lot. it's a lot. Well, Chris. I think it, it's better to do something meaningful. Like you're talking, we're talking about your podcast mm. and I do think, it is a very deep thing. I didn't quite expect it to, to have this gravitas, Will, even though I knew that it should and has in the past. I thought, well, it probably won't happen for me, you know. <laughs> yeah, I did it, but I didn't really get the whole, you know, everyone says the full, there's always like the, the full, full experience. philosophy experience yeah. where like there's a big moment or someone cries or Will has a breakdown or like they, they resolve a feud. There's normally something big. I feel like we've had a few. Oh, I, I think, think we have. I've felt it a couple yeah. of times. It's been like a, a, a roller coaster ride. Yeah. There's a couple of bits where I've bottomed out going, whoa, mm. I need to take a breath. Yeah, no, mm. that's this. I, hopefully that's what this is at its best. So let's make it some more fun. Back to hypothetical questions. I have appropriated this question from Kurt Bronola on Pete Holmes's podcast, uh, but I love it as a question because it just has opened up so many interesting areas. Would you prefer to know? You have to know one or the other in this, in, just for this hypothetical. Uh, would you prefer to know when you die or how you die? Okay. Can I go down a rabbit hole Please quickly on do. this? No, no, there's no, no quickly. It's once, just... once again, uh, I have turned to, I've dialed in a helper, um, my son, the philosopher, yeah. who's also called William. Um, Is that right? Yes. And Good, strong studies man. philosophy. Mm. And Look, he actually, <laughs> I'm going to put something to you that okay. he, he should be here because he's, he's very good, smart. Uh -huh. um, I, I put this question to him and he said, well, it depends. If I choose how, 
it, am I allowed to see in the past so that I can change it? Or, you know, am I allowed to? Yeah, so if I say how, mm. do I then get to change the future? Yeah. Do you have an answer for that? Well, I mean, who knows? Because like, he we, talked about because it's more it's more interesting in that whether you would try to change the future. Mm. So if I tell you that you're being, say, say because this is I mean I like the conversation more than the like mm. the answer. Yeah, who yeah, cares, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Like because he's asking in in a way an interesting question, but the more interesting question is the question that he he would be good on this podcast because he I could would then yeah. put this back to him, which is like. I, I want to know whether you would try to change it well, yeah, of regardless course. of whether you know whether you can. Okay. So whether I say you can or not mm. probably doesn't matter on whether you're going to try to regardless. Because even if I told you you can't, I uh, bet you'd still try to. If I said, uh, you know, you die in a car accident, I bet you would like stop getting in cars. Getting in yeah. cars. He said if it was really specific, yeah. Yeah. he could then avoid the thing. Mm. No, he would definitely try and change yeah. it. Um, and he talked about, um, are you familiar? Cause I'm not really familiar with Greek no, myths and stuff. Sure. Um, but like Oedipus uh-huh. who was to- foretold that he would kill his father and marry yeah. his mother. And then he only realized it after he did both things that, oh my God, that's, mm. that's the prophecy coming true. Um, anyway, I didn't know all of that. Um, I actually went for, I would prefer to know when, because I I know I am going to die. Mm. Obviously, we all know that. Yep. Um, the how scares the life out of me, and I think I already know now. I already know now what I need to avoid if I have any control over my death. You know, in terms of health thing, I need. Mm. But even people who live completely, they don't smoke, they don't drink, they go running heaps. They can die mm. just with a heart that gives in for no apparent reason except whatever. So y- yeah. you're never guaranteed anything. But well, that's right. Like I mean, I know how I'm going to die, most likely, right? Because the statistics will tell you how I'm going to die, most likely. At a man my age, if mm. I was going to die anywhere in the next couple of years, it would be of two things, heart disease or at my own hand. They are the two oh, major ways okay. that someone my age would die, right? Yeah. Like if you're in different age demographics and different, you, you kind of know, right? Mm-hmm. But we live like we don't know. And we also no. know how long we're going to live on average, on paper. right? Yeah, that's right. Most of us are going to live 70 or 80 years, right? Mm. So we kind of know when we're going to die and how we're going to die. But we don't know exactly when we're going to die no. or how we're going to die. no. I would still go for when, yeah. because time, at least I can measure and I can know, you know, what I need to do before that date. I'm, I love a deadline, mate. Yeah. <laughs> and that is the final deadline. Mate, like, I'm, everyone says to me, how do you get a show done every year? I'm like, here's how I get a show done every year. A deadline. I book the show. Yeah. Cre- creativity loves come deadline. up with the name and I get a poster together and then I'm like, well, I've got no choice now. Yeah. They've booked a venue for a month. See, I, I love that you, you can just call yours, you know, philosophy and all of, yeah. you know, all of these things. Greatest trick the devil ever played. Oh man, if only I had thought of this earlier because yeah. it's the most annoying thing naming a show before you've got anything. You understand re- what it is. It's, it's the, it's freedom. Mm. Like people sometimes, and this is what I mean about other people not needing to know why you do something. You know, we were talking about this earlier, which is mm. the idea of you can be doing something in your act, with your career, with your life. It doesn't always have to be apparent from the outside why it is that you do something. The reason that I play like hip hop before my old school hip hop, mostly before my gigs, is that 
like a I like old school hip hop, but、mm. the reason that I play it, I have a level that I like it played at, which is slightly over conversation level, so that people have to start talking in their outside voices. Absolutely, I like hip hop because I speak really quickly on stage, and I feel like it gets people in the mindset、mm. that there's going to be someone swearing and talking quickly, like they have already been acclimatized to like that's what the environment's going to be. It's not like if I play classical music and then suddenly I'm, you know, shouting at you for like an hour, right? So these are decisions I'm making. It's not the audience's job. To know why I'm making those、no. decisions, but I am making them for a reason. And the will puns is absolutely what you've just identified.、Yeah. The major reason is that I am asked every year in August, July, August, for what the name of my next year's show is going to be, and I go to a file,、oh. and I just roll through and I decide which one most appeals to me for that year. Sometimes it, it can it can coincidentally be like inform like like this year was called Illuminate and. I'd, I'd never sit down and tr- go. What's illuminate mean? And now、right. I'm going to write the show, right? Yeah. Like I came up. That title was put in for no reason other than I liked the way that it sounded. Like it felt good off the back of Willogical. Like I like.、Mm. Sometimes I just again everything's a reaction to the previous thing. Yep. And but the show it very much is a show about like being stuck inside and then trying to go outside. And so the idea of going back out into the light is really thematic to the whole show. But it was never written in that way. Like I never was like the show is called Illuminate. That therefore this is going to be, you know, what the show is about. Sometimes they they intersect. Sometimes they don't, and I don't care. But the major、yeah. reason is purely practical, which yep, is get it done. I don't want to have to have the title of my show being eight things I learnt from my dad, and you get to you know Adelaide Fringe, and you're like. <laughs> Only five of these things are funny, <laughs> and I said eight.、Oh, you know no, what I mean? Like, totally. I don't need that. Totally. Yeah. I. I mean, I used a one-word、mm. title this year, which was helpful, busy,、um, but probably I could have called it something else that would have been more、um, pertinent in retrospect. But you don't know that at the、no. time. Often, when you're being asked to, for what it is,、yeah. you don't know what the show is going to be either. A comedian suggested to me I should have called it. What about the flowers? Which is a punchline from one of my jokes. Right. What happened to flowers? That that、yeah. was, and that would have been great. Well, when you record it, you call it "What happened to flowers?" Yeah, maybe. Yeah, you can、mm. do that. Mm. Just call it something different. Yeah. Like the the way you tour it doesn't have to be the thing you call it when you yeah, make、right. it into something. Okay, that's good. I mean,、know. even the show last year's show of mine, "We're Logical," that's on ABC iView. That's a version of a show, and it's a good version of the show. But like you're talking about the amount of times you do a show, I only did that show thirty five times or something, right? Before we filmed it, because of the, you know, just the way last year worked is、yeah. like literally so barely did it, you know.、Yeah. And there are bits of it that, you know, could have absolutely done with another six months' work, but it was of the moment and of、yes. the time, and that's what I wanted to do. But the funniest thing of all is the version that is on ABC iView, that hour version, is a great thematic contained show.、Mm. That show never existed, never existed, like literally did not exist. I never did that version of the show because even on the night that it's taped, there's a whole five minutes at the start, which was the five minutes at the start that I did every single time I did that show. I did this five minutes at the start. There was a routine about Joe Rogan. Yeah, you know, saying that he could suck his own dick, but di- hasn't tried. That like is ten minutes that I did every pretty much every single night that I did that show. <laughs> Neither of those routines, because they had to come down to sixty minutes, and、yeah. I had to find a shape of it, and I took both of those things out. Like, yeah. So. So it's a different show. Different show. Yeah. 
that show never existed. Like, I mean, it does, and that'll be yeah. the version that most people see. Yeah, right. But as a live show, never actually happened. Oh, that's weird, isn't, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's good to know, actually. Right? Yeah. You can do whatever you want yeah. when you tape it. Just... I love that you say 35 shows is nothing. It's like I haven't even done it. How many does it get to before you go, well, I've definitely broken that in? I mean, I reckon, I don't know, like 80 or 100, I would have oh. thought. I don't reckon I've ever done a show that many times. That's well, I reckon amazing. that's how many show times you need to do it so it's like perfect. Yeah, I believe you. Yeah. Yeah. But some, we don't have the luxury of I doing that I will never get to perfect. <laughs> I may never get to perfect. Well, you might though because like it actually, there's a point in your maybe even kind of where you're about to go into where like I think I that so. when people discover who you are, there's that bit where you're going to get to go to everywhere and so. do like nice long runs everywhere, I think. To do that. That's I'd the best time. To do that. I want to know, go back to when that. I started, like when I just started mm. getting like showcase and bigger gallery type, yeah. not not full galas, but, you know, regional galas and, and <laughs> stuff, yeah. um, you know, that level. And <laughs> like it's really exciting. It's yeah. like, wow, this is yeah. happening. Nikki Britton, beautiful Nikki, um, she said to me, oh, you wait, It gets when it gets busy, it gets really busy real quick. Yeah. And I always thought, wow, that would be so cool. And it did. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's the coolest. You know, I still yeah. shake myself. It comes in a wave. Mm. Yeah, and then it's just about trying to keep the wave going. Yeah, and, and, and hold yourself through those yeah. perhaps troughs. Yeah, when it gets you know? dumped and mm. all those sort of things. Know that that's all part of it. Yeah. And also it's about starting to go, all right, where can I get this wave to take me, yeah. right? Like I don't, I'm just not going to go where the wave's going. I've yeah. got to like work out where it is. That... Yeah, I've got to learn how to surf. Right, yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's always been a problem. But right. yeah, I've got to learn how to use the wind as well, you know. Like there's, yeah, it's cool. Uh, it's, so, okay. So you'd prefer to know when because when gives you a timeline and you like a timeline. Mm. Totally understand that. Uh, okay. We've talked about advice already um, in the show, but like it's one of the questions I ask at the end. So I'll ask it again because there might be something in this that we haven't covered. Um, best bit of advice you've ever got or worst piece of advice that you've ever got? Something that you believe to be true that absolutely wasn't true. Either or whatever you want to answer. Mm, that's really hard, Will. Well, I mean, you've said like, so there's a couple of examples of good advice that we've already got, right? Which mm. is Mandy Nolan gave you great oh, advice. True. David O'Doherty gave you yeah. good advice. They, they both feel like people who gave you good advice. So maybe we've got good advice covered, but is there, and it doesn't even have to be a specific example, but was there something particularly when you were maybe starting out in comedy, it doesn't have to be in comedy. It could have been in journalism. It could have been in life in general. Was there something that you really believed to be true, you know, that someone had told you? Like it could be that sort of thing of you can't be a great comedian unless you're gigging twice a night every mm. night because that's certainly part of the comedy mythology. It is absolute bullshit. Um, but like was there something like that you I believed think, to be look, true? this may be less dramatic and less comedy related than yeah, you might no, be no. hoping. But my child... I have no, I'm, no, 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 no. Okay. Go wherever you want. I apologise for I just stuff. give examples to spark hopefully yeah, some absolutely. Ideas. I suppose my child, Eve, who's 17, um, is has always been wise beyond their years. And I think part of the reason was I leaned on them, uh, you know, because they were so strong. And they said to me, you know, you've got to kind of you have to believe yourself and you have to – strangely, my, my child was more giving me advice <laughs> and it was sort of you've got to give yourself the strength you need. You have to believe that you're on the right path and you, you're doing the right thing. Um, just back yourself. 
And so I think really it was my kid that gave me um, permission to pub- find my path and keep going and 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 give me that um, in that knowledge that I have it in me, uh, that you have all the things you need inside of yourself already. Uh, so uh, we're nearly done. Uh, I have um, one more hypothetical question and then I'll... I'll let you be. Uh, let's do some plugs, though. I will do. I'm going to do an intro as well. But let's. Uh, so Sydney Comedy Festival, you're on this week, aren't you? Mm-hmm. What, what day are you on? Fifth. Uh, well, Friday? sorry, Thursday to Thursday. Sunday. Thursday to Sunday. Yep. This, so this weekend. So people will be hearing this. Uh, so if you're listening to it, the day it comes out. I think this comes. It comes out on a Wednesday or a Thursday. So it'll either be today through till Sunday or, terrific. you know, anyway. So this will be, oh, people terrific. will be hearing this. So Sydney Comedy Festival. But then after that. After that, I've got Perth. I'm doing the 12th of May in Perth. Mm-hmm. And then I've got Brisbane Comedy Festival the week after that. So, um, and they're, they're my uh, final festivals for the year. Uh, go out and see Chris Ryan. Uh, you will have an excellent, excellent time. Let's, uh, you know, let's all get on board now and then, you know, we can all, you know, she's done all the hard work by now. So Thanks, Will. You know, we'll, we'll get on board. But um, I'm also going to all those places, Sydney Comedy Festival, the weekend after Chris, and then uh, I've got uh, Brisbane and Perth and Townsville and a whole bunch of other places, comedy.com.au, if you want to check those out. Oh, I'm doing an event, I should mention this, at the Sydney Writers' Festival. I'm doing a live philosophy episode uh, with Bridget Delaney, uh, um, and uh, that is on, the I think, the 25th of March. But anyway, if you go to the Sydney Writers' Festival, and you if you like this podcast and you would like to see it live, you can see it as part of the Sydney Writers' Festival. Okay, so final question. Uh, I have a time machine. I can take you. It's a round trip. Um uh, I need the machine back for the next podcast, but uh, you can go forward in time or backward in time. So that's the first question. Would, if you were offered a trip in a time machine, would you go forward or backward in time? Oh, wow. Probably backward. Mm-hmm. How far back do you think you would go? To when my kids were little. Mm. Would you just like to see or would you like to change something? I would like to be a lot happier, you know, yeah. and you know, to just be more engaged in the moment and not be so scared of, you know, getting them to sleep at the right time, making sure they're eating the right stuff, keeping them safe. I'd rather just lie there and cuddle them. Mm. It's so tough to be a um, a parent in the moment. I, I talk about this so often on the show, but uh, my dad, you know, dairy farmer, Graham, lived on the same road he was born on, you know, never sworn yeah. in his life. You know, like, you know, not... The world, a, a great dad, but not the world's most affectionate mm. man, you know. And um, I, I see him, uh, yeah, particularly when my brother and sister's kids were little, I would just see him playing with them and the joy like he would have of playing with them. And I I would uh, I would say to my mum, I was like, was he like this with us when we were little? And she'd always just be like, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, know. that's his time machine, you know? Yeah. That's, that's it, right. you know. Grandparenting. This, this time we're not, yeah, grandparenting is like, it's too hard when you're in the middle of it. You're yeah. too busy being a parent, but grandparenting is when people get to have, yeah, they're yeah. like, but it is funny, isn't it? It's, we should look at that and know. Yeah, and yet we never learn. And then we never learn. We never learn. Oh, well, what a great uplifting note <laughs> to <laughs> finish the podcast trying. on. Uh, where else can people find you, Chris? Like, are you on the socials and things yeah, like that? Uh, yeah, Christine Ryan Comedy at, on Instagram and mm-hmm. um, just my website, chrisryancomedy.com. For all the details and all the links and everything else. Uh, thank you so much for doing the show. I appreciate it. My pleasure, Will. Thank you.
listener.